Hey kids, it's Zachary again. Guess what? I failed to edit the new podcast in time for this week's release. However, we have a special treat for you. This is an episode of the John's cast from the distant past, back when Benjamin and I had less good audio and before our uh, our much-beloved review segment. So I'm sorry that you guys will be missing the review segment this week, and I'm sorry for the audio, but I'm really proud of this episode. I think you'll really enjoy it. So now enjoy your time in the distant John's past. BT Dubs, in this episode we say we don't have an email address, but we totally do. Our email is johnscast at gmail.com. That's J-A-W-N-Z-C-A-S-T at gmail.com. Drop us a line. Stay tuned for next week's episode where we discuss Persona 5. It'll be great. Hello, and welcome to the John's cast. I'm Zachary. I'm Benjamin. And this and, is... The, uh, yeah. I, I, I need to get John's on live, apparently. So. <laughs> Hurry up, Ben. I can't, I can't I stall them much it's longer. I floor right here by me. Okay, great. Uh, yeah, no, Vance, Vance. Vance. For, uh, for those of you listening, Ben is... Uh, is hurrying up to put on some pants because as we all know the first rule of the John's cast is wear your John's to the cast the second rule of John's cast is don't talk about Fight Club the third rule of John's cast is have fun the fourth rule of John's cast is Ben have you put on your John's yet? The fifth rule of John's cast is don't start recording when you're not ready and then is still putting on his John's. The sixth rule of John's cast is seriously, have you, have you done yet? I'm back. Okay, uh, great. I was just kidding, everybody. I, I had to throw up. That's that's the one. Wait, uh, really? I definitely never take my John's off. Oh, yes. I, I never, never do it. Do I do that? As, as Iron Maiden told us... I didn't us, actually throw up. Oh, okay. Throw up. <laughs> Don't tell anybody. Shh. Yeah, no, but... I, I mean... Who, who takes their Johns off? <laughs> I even wear mine you in the shower. Do you or not? Mm-hmm. I mean... You know what? If you're willing to... If you wouldn't shower... If you wouldn't wash your Johns then, you shouldn't wash your legs then. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I consider my Johns an extension of my legs, really. I mean, I just can basically consider them to be my legs. Good. Great. So, um, yeah. Well, I, I think that brings us to a pretty natural Johns topic. Uh, oh, oh, I forgot to I forgot to ask what you were wearing, Zach. Uh, I'm wearing the gray 514s this week. What are you wearing nice. that you didn't just put on? I, I I mean, you mean what am I? I definitely did not just put back on and never ever take when I'm wearing them. Uh-huh. Otherwise, that would be peeling your skin off, which is mm-hmm. weird. Mm-hmm. Uh, is uh, my black my black April seventy sevens we talked about recently? All right, they're they're comfy, looking good. Cool. And uh, what was really bringing out the headbands in my um. Ninja Turtles XXL Children's shirt, uh, pajama shirt I'm wearing <laughs> with them today. <laughs> oh, that sounds very cozy. It is. It's also paper thin. You can see my nipples through it. Nice. Sensual as well. <laughs> I think this Barfin episode really um, brings us to a, a pretty natural John's topic for the week, which is... Uh, when should you take off your johns? Alright, so say you're at war and your buddy's just been hit 
His arm has been blown off. He's just a bleeding, or he just has a bleeding stump now. He's going to bleed out. You don't have a bandage. And all you've got is your Johns, because you've already taken off your shirt, because you're just that badass. Under oh, you the... probably didn't even bring a shirt. Yeah, probably not. You don't need one. Or a helmet. Heroes don't wear helmets. Yeah, I learned that from uh, Warhammer. So anyway, under these circumstances, you should not take off your Johns. That Your buddy's just, just sorry. Sorry, buddy. I got Johns to wear. Really? Like, wonder if he was, like, a really good buddy. So I have a... How do you feel about this? Because yeah. this, be, this would be the way I would handle it. Okay. Because, I mean, you don't want to take off your... Like, you can't take off your Johns in the battlefield. I mean, it's one of those, you know, you put your own, you know, oxygen mask on before you put it on your stupid brat child. <laughs> exactly. Remove yeah. from existence. And that's sort of how I think about buddies. Mm-hmm. Um... But where John's are the oxygen mask. But sometimes, you know, you have enough oxygen to share. So here you are, all heroic in battlefield. I'm kind of imagining Vietnam. Yeah. It had the coolest soundtrack. Mm-hmm. Um, and really good-looking uniforms. Mm-hmm. Some hunky soldiers, you know, shirtless, glistening, a little bit of blood and mud spatter. And your buddy, he's bleeding out there. Well, you also have... You know, your survival knife. And why don't you just cut off your one of your legs and then you can take the pant leg off that removed leg and then use that as a tourniquet on your buddy. Uh, and then you can use the remaining piece of your Johns on that leg to make a tourniquet for yourself. And then you can do three-legged race it, but with only two functioning legs, back to face. And then nobody has to take their jaws off, and, you know, everybody wins. Oh, that sounds like a very good solution, Benjamin. I like it. Well, I mean, they didn't invite me to Vietnam, but if they would have, I think I would have fared well. (laughs) At least your jaws would have. (laughs) <laughs> Unless I had to cut one leg of them off. Mm-hmm. I actually saw a post on... I don't remember if it was a Super Future post, or if it was a uh, like Reddit raw denim post back in the day. Mm-hmm. One, of the, one of the big John's boards um, about some guys buying a, uh, a new pair of um, like $600 iron hearts mm-hmm. for their uh, friend who was attacked in a parking lot and stabbed like eight times. Oh no. And then the paramedics cut his johns off of him while saving his life. And so they bought him a band, the same the same pair of johns. Pitch <laughs> <laughs> it in together. Well, that's nice of them. And it, it had a lot of pictures of his bloody post cut off johns on there, and his new pair with him in the hospital wearing his new pair. Oh, I'm sure for what it's worth, the the Iron Hearts did a lovely job of defending the, against the night the knife stabs to whatever. Oh, he probably would have died yeah. without him. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> I mean, he would have lost the knife fight if he hadn't been able to conceal his knife in the hidden knife pocket in there. <laughs> so he could fight back. And ultimately prevail. But if only those pants had a hidden gun pocket, he would have won. <laughs> yeah. Well, he also would have performed bad manners. You're not supposed to bring a gun to a knife fight. That's true. I learned that. Like, people talk about bringing a knife to a gun fight as being, like, a bad strategy. But really, it's more of, like, a Chivo unlocked like, <laughs> challenge round sort of thing. You know, like... If you do that and still win, very impressive. Definitely something to brag about. Uh, Plus, don't you, like, walk slightly faster? Like, you you side strafe and run faster if you have your knife out? Help you dodge the bullets? Yeah. I learned that from uh, Modern Warfare. That the knife makes you faster. Counter-Strike. Oh, Counter-Strike. Sorry. Thanks for... Yeah, Counter-Strike. Yeah. <laughs> a classic game. 
where you and your friends counter strikes. So I've I've heard. Wait, you counter gunfire with knife strikes yeah. in, in Counter Strike. Yeah, I get it. And the object of the game is to get like a six thousand dollar knife skin and then sell it to the, the Russian black market on Steam, <laughs> um, so that they can use or, it to well, gamble. Yes, so they can they can gamble it, and uh, so they can gamble hands. against eight year olds. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Who are using their their parents' money to buy six thousand dollar knife skins? <laughs> Perfect. You know, I think the real thing to take here or take away here is I know all about games like Over Heroes and uh, <laughs> Defense. Over, yeah, Over Heroes is is the new uh, Team Strike Two. What I what I hear. Have you played any Defense of the Hearthstone? That one's supposed to be pretty good. Yeah, I'm. Re- I find the community so abrasive. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the game's so poorly explained. I, I found it. You know, I, I my team kept telling me to kill myself, but not before I uninstall. And I, I, I just couldn't defend the Hearthstone. <laughs> Did you try turning off the abrasive community mode? It's in the settings. I didn't know you could. I didn't mm. find the options. Yeah, it's a, it's not a well-known setting. Is, is it like a slider mm-hmm. where you can turn it up or down how <laughs> awful the community is? Uh-huh. I, like- I would want that if, so if I was making an online game, let's say we were making an online game set, yeah, I yeah. would want there to be an option in the menu where you, so after a match, you rate how abrasive each player is, mm-hmm. and then you set the slider in your options menu, and it just mutes all chat from people that are more abrasive than what you're <laughs> set at. I think that's a really good idea. I like to play it about... Me too. I like to play it about 40% abrasive, because I don't want, like, my race insulted, but I don't want things to be all rainbows and unicorns either. Right, you, you don't, you don't want, you don't want it just set to encouragement mode, mm-hmm. where you just hear people cheering on the other team about people on the other team, <laughs> <laughs> as you're like, otherwise, like, radio silence. Mm-hmm. Although that is very uh, encouraging for the other team. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, when you start to interpret like long periods of silence as knowing that people are being really mean to you, <laughs> <laughs> but not sure how or why. I think we've invented the future, Ben. I'm glad I could help. Yeah, awesome. So, uh, so speaking of the future. For today's episode, we're the talking about... The future of video games? Yeah, the future of video games. Uh, and in this particular future, the name of the game is, I believe, Bubsy 3D Visits a James Terrell Expedition? The exhibition? Um, yeah, Bubsy 3D, and then a very small print under it, Bubsy Visits the James Terrell Retrospective. Yeah. Bubsy is back! <laughs> He is. So, uh, as some background, Bubsy was a terrible 2D mascot platformer, and then I think he was also a terrible 3D mascot platformer. So, apparently, he was the first, like, I, I read the Wikipedia article, yeah. um, because the part that says Bubsy visits the James Terrell retrospective was written so small mm-hmm. under... Bubsy 3D, illicitly using the Bubsy 3D logo, mm-hmm. um, that I thought this was a regular Bubsy 3D, and I was like, what the fuck? <laughs> so I read the Wikipedia page about it, which just does not, it's not the same game, and it does not talk about this at all in the Wikipedia page. But I did learn a bunch of facts about Bubsy, which is important, because I had never played a Bubsy game before. So apparently Bubsy 3D was the first 3D platformer. It's pre-Mario 64. 
and is widely regarded as being one of the worst games ever made. <laughs> and boy, can you tell it was before Mario 64, am I right? Apparently it was only like a few weeks before Mario 64. Oh, really? That's part of why it did so poorly. So, uh, so one of the best summer games done quick games last summer was they did, uh, what's the name of the Nintendo 64 game where you're driving trucks around and blowing up buildings? Blast Core? Yeah. Yeah. You also drive the robot with only one arm that the somersault smashed the building. Yeah, and, uh, and they had one of the devs talking to them while they were doing the run. And he mentioned, like, the one-armed robot. So what he said was that this was Rare's first experiment doing a 3D game to the extent that it was actually in development for a year before they even had a prototype, uh, or before they even had an N64 dev station. So, so like, they had no idea what it was going to be like, which is why it's basically a 2D game. And... uh, and they were basically allowed to run wild and do things like uh, so. So for that one-armed robot, there there were a certain amount of polygons that you could work with on the N64. And mm-hmm. by, and by the time they had built one arm on that robot, they ran out of polygons. So they just... <laughs> that's why I had one arm. Yeah. So so they just didn't put the other arm on it. And it was really fun. I was super excited about that game. Yeah. Because of the one-armed robot that was very prominently, I, I really liked giant robots. Yeah. Um, in a way, I don't anymore. But as a kid, I, I remember them finally, and I still think they're cool. But as a kid, I really, really, really liked giant robots. Um, and I thought it was really cool that the robot only had one arm, and it was all over like Nintendo Power covers and ads and stuff. Yeah. Uh, and I rented that game and found it, like, impossibly hard and didn't get as far as I wanted, and that's why I did buy it. But I really did like the parts that I could make it through. It was just, like, too hard and too uneven. Yeah, it was a cool game. Smashing stuff is fun. Yeah, and the, uh, and the developer was talking about how nobody really knew how to make a 3D platformer until uh, Nintendo showed them how to deal with Mario 64. So it makes sense to the. Like, yeah, that like yeah. that, that like invented the genre. Oh yeah, basically. for sure. Yeah, and it's quite good, and it has a remarkably tolerable camera for being a game mm-hmm. of itself. Well, um, um, yeah. Did it come out before Mario sixty four, or was it just in dev before that had? the ability to sort of sink in and be absorbed in game design sensibilities. Um, yeah, well, so it would have been in dev before Mario 64 was released and possibly before it was even demonstrated. It's been too long since I played it, but does it also have the C-stick camera controls? Like Mario, by C-stick I mean C-buttons, um, camera controls that like Mario 64 did? Because those worked extremely well and those just basically made up what a third-person camera will work like to this day. Uh, You know, know, I'm not sure. It was all in overhead perspective, so they could have gotten away with just making the camera static. I don't know if you had control over it. Yeah, I don't... Like, I played it in, like, fourth grade or something, that one rental. That's my (laughs) entire experience of it. Yeah, it's been a while. Uh... Yeah, and now in the year of my PhD, it's been a fucking long time. <laughs> no kidding. The the N64 was uh, released in the U.S. over 20 years ago. Pretty crazy. Yeah, uh, yeah. so, you know, Pokemon, this this year's Pokemon's uh, 20th anniversary, um, you know, with the, the new main game coming out tomorrow midnight. Yeah, holy cow. Um, which I'm crazy excited about because I've been a super fan since uh, day one, since the first first comic book was added, I guess manga, was uh, started being added for free in Nintendo Power 
you know, before the anime or the first game came out, sort of leading up to it. And uh, I've purchased every single one, every generation that's come out since, without uh, missing any. Um, and since I was, like, in middle school, I actually, like, uh, pre-ordered all of them and got them all day one. So wow. I'll be there at the midnight release party tomorrow. Uh my local game stops apparently having like a big uh, tournament and stuff, which I, I you know I don't have a team for or anything. But uh, I think it's awesome that uh that you know it's been fucking twenty years of Pokemon. I'm glad you're celebrating it because it makes me feel like a relic. Well, so now Pokemon is primarily marketed to oldsters, like it's our generation. It's still extremely popular, but it's the same people that are buying it, you know, when we were in third grade when it came out. And uh, it's popular with children, but it's even more popular with people our age. Hmm. Um, and even the, the ads for it, um, like maybe I'll show you one during the break, but they're all about feels, about you being like a, a young adult yuppie businessman <laughs> that's still buying Pokemon. But but remembering you buying it as a child. That's literally what the the like big trailer is about. Oh, that's really funny. It doesn't have like sex um, and violence, right? No, no, not at all. No, it's 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 very. It, it's I mean criticized for being too conservative and not changing up enough. Hmm. Uh, typically, uh, in the sort of Zelda fashion of like you came up with this thing that revolutionized everything and people like so much, they're going to be fucking pissed if you stop making it exactly the same. Because they love that so much. Remember when Twilight... Uh, this, one, yeah. this one is apparently shaking stuff up uh, much more than any in the last decade. Hmm. Um, for instance, they've done away with gyms, which hmm. has never happened before. Um, so, But what will your dungeon analog yet? be? So, the, so they're, they're just straight up dungeons in Pokemon, and I think those are still there. There always have been. Hmm. Um, but the gyms are the boss battles. And instead, they've been. I, I haven't seen one yet, because, you know, it comes out tomorrow, and mm -hmm. I, it's been leaked, like, recently, but I've avoided all spoilers, because to me, it's much more fun to play. Not knowing what's going on. Mm -hmm. And, um,. It's, um, uh, apparently they've been replaced with, like, um, sort of interesting puzzle challenges, um, in the world in general. Like uh, Sudoku? Uh, no. Yeah. Um, I mean, maybe one of them is. But I think more along the lines of, like, a Zelda-style, like, dungeon puzzle. Oh, I see. Um, so you have to light the torches. It's more of a torch lighter, I think. But I, like I said, I haven't seen it or played it because I've been avoiding spoilers. I know that's the case. That's that's one of the, the biggest changes. That is so fundamental to, like, the Pokemon experience. It's never changed until tomorrow um, in the last 20 years. But it's been, it has almost perfect reviews across the board. Uh, which really started coming out in force this week. And uh, it, people are saying it's fantastic and it makes a bunch of changes um, without sort of losing the spirit of, of uh, the series at all. Okay. But it, like, you're, it's not gotten grim dark at all. By <laughs> far, the like edgiest and darkest one has been the first one. And that's never changed. Huh. And they've, they've only rolled back on that over time. Interesting. Well, we'll look forward to your exclusive John's Cast review once you uh, once you play it. I was actually uh, thinking about saying we should do that one for you next week or the week after. Um, oh. Well, I am all for as, it. Uh, well, sick. Uh, we'll discuss that off the cast. So, cast listeners, uh, stop listening your so we can discuss some private things. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I was going to say prepare your answers because in the immediate future, there's going to be some bleeding edge Pokemon Sun and Moon.
open coverage. Nice. Sweet. But that's not what we're here about today. No, not at all. (laughs) No, alas, today we are discussing a game which has nothing to do with the original Bubsy except that the character was apparently borrowed. Uh, Bubsy 3D visits the... Was Bubsy weird and cross-eyed in Bubsy 3D? See, that's what makes Bubsy 3D visits the James Terrell retrospective so interesting. Is like it's very uh, authored, uh, and you know, like clearly they're probably trying to state something, and it seems like the decisions they make are all deliberate. Well, I, but, I'm gonna go ahead and and yeah. read the the commentary on the title page, which okay. says. Uh, that you should stop playing a video game and instead go to an art museum. <laughs> yeah, and that's more or less the plot of the game. Um, yeah, but to finish my thought, like, it seems very authored, but at the same time, like, you're not sure which part of it is deliberate and which part of it is I'm being a lazy video game designer and I don't really care about polishing this. But you can also do that on purpose, too. Like, that can be deliberate. Like, shoddiness, like, intentional just laziness can be deliberate laziness, better or worse. Yeah, and in this case, I'd definitely buy it if that's what they were doing, because, like, it's definitely a it's, punk it's aesthetic. It's well. Yeah. A man wants to describe to me punk rock, and by a man, I mean Bill Burr on his Monday morning podcast, which mm-hmm. has a bajillion listeners. Uh, that I always listen to while cleaning up my house on Monday mornings, um, and never ever any other time, which is weird because it's mostly about sports, which I hate. Um, <laughs> and by hate, I mean don't feel strongly about, but I'm incredibly bored by. Okay. Uh, outside of MMA and uh, fighting, but um, and I don't watch those. I just used to do them. Uh, that that. Uh, <laughs> I remember I didn't sleep last night. I forgot where this extremely long, poorly constructed sentence began. <laughs> you, were, you were defining punk rock. Oh, so Bill Burr described punk rock as sounding like very angry karaoke. He's a huge <laughs> punk rock fan. I was deeply amused and pleased by as the description. I um, really like that. He I was talking. He recently got super into punk rock, and he he had always been like a a metal guy growing up. And if you if you're not either of those sort of guys over not born more than twenty years ago, um, <laughs> you you might not realize that um despite just sounding like horrible sounds on both sides to the listening the average listening populace, these are two subcultures that hate each other and consider themselves to be opposites and rivals. And I grew up super punk, and that was my thing. Mm-hmm. And uh, he grew up very metal. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've recently gotten into a bunch of uh, black metal and stoner metal and sludge metal stuff. And uh, he's recently gotten into a bunch of punk rock and... Uh, but hearing him describe it is very... He was like, you know, I I always just thought of it as very angry karaoke, and I just fucking cracked up laughing. Because that's, that's a pretty fucking on those. Yeah, that's really good. But that's why I like it. I like that a lot. So would you describe this game as looking like very angry karaoke? <laughs> uh, yeah, I would say in a lot of ways it's like very angry karaoke because you're you're taking a character that's not yours... And you are in sort of a... Uh, Illegal samples are the best kind. Yeah, of course. And you're you're using him in sort of an unpolished way, in an unrefined way, to say something that you want. So, totally. And that, that has nothing to do with, or if anything, is perhaps antithetical to what the character in game series <laughs> is about. Yeah, exactly. Well, also, you chose... What is commonly cited is the worst game ever made. Mm-hmm. <laughs> As the fake basis point this. So if we haven't 
inspired you to play this yet and you haven't played it yet, um, I would request the listening audience perhaps pause this podcast because you can totally play through it in 30 minutes or less. Go to bubsy3d.com. No www's, no HTTPs, nothing in front of it. Just type into the bar bubsy3d.com. Uh, three the numeral, mm-hmm. not spelled out. It will take you to the great game. It's free. You can play it in your browser immediately. Um, and it's sort of very Frog Fractions-esque in that perhaps the less you know about it, the more you will be entertained and get out of it. And it's going to look retarded, but stick with it for ten minutes and you'll like it. It also has frogs. Okay. That's another similarity with Frog it Fractions. Does. It's, another, it's another Frog Fractions connection. Mm-hmm. Was this the original inspiration for Frog Fractions? I, I think this might be Frog Fractions, too. Oh, shit. We finally figured it out. Yay. I'm going to call Jim. <laughs> Do you know Jim's number? I have no idea what Jim's number is. I don't know Jim's number, either. I, I could send a, a, another email for them to read, like, a year later. Uh, <laughs> a video game podcast. That might work. Asking about it. Yeah. Boy, that one time they read your email, that was pretty cool. It was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, don't tell them which email it was, so they don't know which Benjamin they, that is read off that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. One episode, that one podcast that features Jim. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So, are, are we at break? I don't know Like if we need to take a break. Uh, we should take a break in the middle, I know, but uh, I I always forget to check what the time is. Uh, it's 34 minutes. Do you want to take a break? That's a good break. Time. All right. Let's do a break. Taking a break. Ah! Ah! You should play Leslie 3 and you break. Ah! Ah! And for everyone wearing headphones, I'm really sorry about that one. Uh, the Johns cast is back, and today... Welcome a, back. Welcome back. Today we have a new feature, Cocktail Hour, where Ben uh, discusses some really fun and interesting cocktails you can make yourself. What's the cocktail this week, Ben? Today, it's a twist on a classic. I'm, I'm doing a twist on William Burroughs' favorite cocktail, the really gross vodka and Coke. Uh-huh. I mean, not a fan favorite for a reason, um, but boy, did Burroughs drink a lot of them. Uh, they are easy, which is convenient for your alcoholic on the go or your stay-at-home style, uh, but this is a more delicious variant. Um, so all you'll need today is a uh, flat bottle of, uh, preferably fat, flat, I mean, if you have a fresh bottle, that'll work in a pinch, um, of cherry Dr. Pepper. And so you want to go ahead and take a glass of, let's go for a highball. I mean, this is not this is not a glass for your low ball sort of guy. Like, if you're in this for one drink, you don't want this one. Um <laughs> So what you want to do is you want to fill your glass half full of preferably flat, thick and syrupy cherry Dr. Pepper. Mm. And then you're going to want to dump some vodka in there. Now, depending on how tall your glass is um, and how much of a pussy you are, you can use more or less. Uh, I don't actually have a tall tall boy glass right now because all mine are filthy and uh, I don't have any time to clean them right now and my new apartment doesn't have a dishwasher so I get to hand wash them all. Um, so I instead used every one of them and then uh, <laughs> now they're all dirty. Uh, so I only used one and a half shots but I would recommend taking how much vodka seems like a good idea and then doing a few more. Um, and then you... Uh, you, once you're done pouring more vodka than you think is a good idea in there, fill up the glass the rest of the way with the rest of the cherry Dr. Pepper. Now, uh, then you're going to need to stir this or it's going to taste like cherry Dr. Pepper and then 
horror in the middle of it and Cherry Doctor again. Because <laughs> I'm assuming you're using bad cheap vodka like I am. Um, so what I do is I I, I took this uh, gray generic clear mass produced big pin that I write with all the time and I keep on my desk and I turn it upside down like the opposite of when you'd write and just stick it just full on stick it right in that glass as deep as you can get it without getting your fingertips into you may have heard me drop it right there I, I would throw that one away another one. Uh, I don't <laughs> a sort of clean pin not been on the floor and just stick it in there and stir that shit around, and there's no carbonation left in here anyway, so, like, go go crazy with it, and really stir it up. Uh, and, you know, if you're feeling fancy, you can dump a maraschino cherry in there or something, and when you're finished, uh, I'd garnish with a Budweiser, and, uh, <laughs> what was the name of this cocktail again? Uh, well, my, my, uh, guess was the the comrade pepper. <laughs> comrade cherry pepper. Yeah, yeah this is my right. favorite communist cocktail aside from a much tastier Cuba Libre. Um, the comrade pepper. <laughs> so there you go. Great cocktail. <laughs> Back to the Johns. So, Benjamin, uh, today oh. at dinner and at lunch and at breakfast... I was thinking, boy, I'm spilling a lot of food on my Johns, but I don't want want to As wash them. As we all do. Yes. As we all do, because we all know you want those sick fades. You can't wash them, but nobody talks about sick stains. Exactly. It's like there's nothing I can do. I'm helpless. What should I do, Ben? Well, I, I mean, traditionally, people would tell you to freeze them. Um, Freeze them. Yeah, because that theoretically kills or inhibits the growth of some of the bacteria. Okay. While not washing them. I could believe that. Because the enemy here is the bacteria and the stain. Um, And that doesn't solve the stain situation at all. Uh, So... My answer actually goes hand-in-hand hand with our last segment, the cocktail hour. <laughs> the problem with freezing them is uh, it's been scientifically proven to not work at all. It causes really serious traumatic damage to the cotton fibers, much more so than washing them. <laughs> and uh, you also look retarded if you put your jeans in the freezer and like that to your girlfriend. <laughs> Um, okay, let me let me stop moving all my jeans from my dresser to my freezer right now, and we'll continue. <laughs> One second, I, I definitely didn't just. Uh, uh, let me get these out of my cold cold closet real quick. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's it's not a freezer. It works really poorly. <laughs> it hardly even makes them cold. So now there there is. There, there is the question of maybe this is a problem with technology. Maybe you're just not getting cold enough. Mm. Like if you dump them in liquid nitrogen, maybe that's a whole different bargain. I don't know. I haven't tried that, and I wouldn't try that with the jeans I liked first. Um, you might have some jeans sickles after that. I did have my jeans frozen onto my body once. Not like they had a peel, like they were, it was a little peely off, but not like it hurt me. They're like frozen enough that they were stiff and you could like break ice out of them, uh, when I was trying to dig my way out of a blizzard in an emergency <laughs> while I happened to be wearing Johns, like I always am. Uh, <laughs> did, did your Johns at least keep you slightly warmer than just being naked would have? They definitely did. Excellent. They definitely did. They were very thick and warming. Um, I assume that did the sort of damage to them that freezing them like an hour would. Uh, but we didn't die while trapped uh, in the ice uh, in a car. So that's good. I think we won. Yeah. And we did have to get towed by a guy with truck nuts, which is maybe the most shameful moment of my life. 
<laughs> but at least it wasn't the most shameful moment of my death. <laughs> I'm so glad. <laughs> Me too, man. It was that was a rough day. That was a fucking rough day. Yeah, no kidding. Um, so it's the stains. <laughs> what do you do about the stains? <laughs> so here is my alternative plan. Because mm-hmm. you can't wash these. You know, you're going to lose your faiths. And if you're not in for the faiths, what the fuck are you even listening to this podcast for? Get out of here. <laughs> you know, but... So you can counteract food stains with booze stains. And this is how I prefer to clean my johns when I get spills on them. So... Because, despite how much practice I've had, I'm terrible at drinking mm-hmm. and just constantly spill everything all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually, I'm good at keeping it off my shirt, so I usually spill it straight into my lap on my johns in the spillage area. Mm-hmm. Well, you know what alcohol is great at? Killing bacteria. Hmm. So there is, a, wonder if you could wash your johns and have a delicious martini at the same time <laughs> the answer is yes and this is my strategy so for instance we were undergrad is when i started doing this on accident but realized it was so successful and then i was such klutz i'd continue doing it on accident and you do it on purpose but you could do it on purpose if you're better at things right? <laughs> is that it's great at getting rid of uh, any weird like gravy bacteria Growing on your knee? Gin. (laughs) (laughs) Do you want to smell like juniper? Or the wrong side of a party? Or like the floor of a stadium? I I would go hard liquor. Beer is not your friend here. Beer is probably going to be, you know, more stain inducing and more bacteria growth, which breaks down your johns. Like, you don't want the bacteria. That shit breaks stuff down. It'll eat the fibers. It will it will cause crotch blowouts. Mm-hmm. You don't want that. So, um, you should be, you should be irrigating your johns fairly frequently with hard liquor, preferably without mixers or mixers that are also booze-induced. So, you know, like, all the soda... The, the cherry Dr. Pepper in the cocktail we just described doesn't make it a good choice. But like, <laughs> you want to go for the classics. You want, like, an old-fashioned, you want, like, a martini, a gin and gin, straight liquors, and, you know, really get them in and work it into the crotch, work it into, like, the upper thighs and the high-staining areas, the high-food-catching areas. And, you know, the dirtier they look, the more booze you can use. And, uh, you know, if you don't want to shrink the fibers, do it while you're wearing them. And, you know, just start drinking sloppier, overfill your glasses. It'll happen on its own as sort of maintenance. But if you've got a recent spill, dump some hard liquor on it. My favorite's gin. Not that it's my favorite liquor. It's definitely whiskey. But, um... I like gin, and it smells really nice. You know, it's it's like aftershave or deodorant or cologne for your johns and cleans them up. You don't lose the fades. That's my strategy. <laughs> well, there you go, listeners. Uh, the trick to eating too much is drinking too much. That's it. And it just gets easier to spill on them the more you drink. So <laughs> deep in the night, start switching to those clear liquors, start switching to straight ones, and just really slop them around. <laughs> That's Feel true. free to like massage them in, move it into your pants, and it'll really get the deep clean. Yeah, maybe it'll feel good. Maybe it won't. I don't know. It might even burn a little if you got yeah. like a cut or something. Yeah. But that means it's working. Yeah. Plus, it's sterilizing your wound. <laughs> Which, for goodness' <laughs> sake, why are you just Bonus. why are you just have an open wound in your thigh? What happened? Was it from Vietnam? You're a fucking pleb who wore shorts one day. And now you're trying to hide it. That's the answer. You would have been wearing sick johns. It would have deflected that blow. <laughs> All right, cool. Well, I'm glad I know that now. So Benjamin, back to the Bubsy. Yes. Um, so I think that I want to describe the plot, and then you can tell me what it means. Okay. 
Okay. Describe the plot, because, you know, our listeners have already paused. They've taken the break, so full spoilers in this. All right. So, the game opens in a beautiful day where Bubsy is walking around on some 3D platforms talking to weirdly high-resolution frogs. And that are all identical. They're all identical. And the platforms and everything else are very low resolution. Yes. Including Bubsy. <laughs> and they're all telling and him... obviously clumsily hand-drawn. <laughs> they're all telling him variations about, hey... The museum's over there. You should go to the museum and see the James Terrell exhibit. So you They do. also tell you that you can fly if you hold space bar. Yes. It's true. <laughs> and you can fly. Um, so you... Uh, so as a guy who's never played another Bubsy, can Bubsy normally fly, or is that specific to this game? I have no idea. We'll assume he normally can. Nope. He's a flying cat. Leopard thing. Really... Oh, he's a cat. I, I kind of thought he was a squirrel. Oh, he sort of reminds me of the Cheetos mascot. He is. He is a little Cheetosy. He, I mean, he doesn't have a long snout, but otherwise he looks very similar. Yeah, it's a bit Cheetosy. So Chester, uh, that's that guy's name. Yeah, Chester, Chester the Cheetah. So, so you arrive at this museum, which uh, is. You've flown there. Yeah, you flew there. You've seen a lot of frogs, and you've been collecting the hearts and sort of psychedelically colored yarn balls that bounce all across your screen. (laughs) The logo for the. It's like the logo explaining how many you have of them, which I think is marked out of 20 Mm -hmm. when there's like hundreds laying around. Yeah, it's it's bouncing. Once you pick up a bunch, it just starts bouncing around. Like the icon for it just starts bouncing around your screen, and the icon for it looks identical to the real one, which makes it very confusing <laughs> at times. Really quite obnoxious. So you arrive at this museum, and it tells you the address of the museum in real life. It's in mm-hmm. L.A. Um, mm-hmm. And then you go in. The Los Angeles County Museum of Art. Mm-hmm. Which... I presume really exists. I don't know if Los Angeles is a real thing, but hey, I'll take your word for it. Uh, I've never been to California, so don't take my word for it. I was just reading what the website says. <laughs> Perfect. Uh, yeah, and then you visit this James Terrell exhibit where there's uh, sort of a collection of arbitrarily animated and scaled people who sometimes talk and sometimes they just cheer. Um, um, and by arbitrarily, you mean like obviously someone else made these as sort of like 3D clip art and they're being abused in much the way the frogs were. Yes, precisely. Uh, uh, and you look at some art, which may actually be reproductions of James Terrell pieces. I don't actually know that much about him, but... But, I, I don't either. Looking at the Wikipedia page of his art, these seem like he is doing like weird light-based installation pieces, but his art looks really good, and most of his art looks like single-colored, super-bright squares of a single tone without explanation. Uh, so I don't feel like it accurately represents in any way <laughs> okay. the, but it, it's at least in dialogue probably yes very yeah. much so yeah. and uh, in the art is uh, different variations of you know light like using light to paint uh, sort of reminds me of Dan Flavin neon sculptures um um, yeah, no, and it, the game puts it explicitly in dialogue with early 3D games, which this is sort of looks like, sort of looks like a much shittier punk rock version on purpose of, like we earlier discussed. Yeah, so, um, so that's an Like, some of the comment. people looking at the art when they talk to you when you come and look at it, um just explicitly talk about how these exhibits look a lot like early 3D art and video games and how maybe it should change your conception of what that very low poly count 
art should be received like and thought about like. Um, which I think this game gives a really compelling case for because it actually looks really cool and unique. Yeah. Turns out we should look at Ocarina of Time like a Rembrandt, but we'll get to that later. Like a a Rembrandt that makes you have a horrible migraine by seeing it. (laughs) Um, So you get to the last piece of the exhibit, and Bubsy says that this piece is supposed to be a spiritual experience. And rather Mm -hmm. than being something that's projected into the wall, it's like a pink room. Oh, I forgot to mention, through all of this, you can see the ghosts of other Bubsies. I'm not sure if, Ben, you saw it or not. I never saw a ghost of another Bubsy. I did. So so that might be... And I played through it three times. So that might be, like, other people playing. Maybe that doesn't happen My guess is that's a Dark Souls-style ghost, and just no one else was playing the game when I played it. Yeah, that's possible. Um, so, so you enter this room, which is the last exhibit, and in the room is an open coffin with a uh, five-pointed star on it. And so you walk over to it that. Has, it has a, a facing up pentagram, not the uh, sort of, you know, like Satanist pentagram, but the, yeah, uh, the Jesus pentagram. Classic protection symbol. Yeah. Uh, wholesome pentagram on it. Yes, and then Bubsy... So this is you jumping into the exhibit, because yeah. there's nowhere else to go, really. Right. And Bubsy proceeds to... And it to... tells you that you shouldn't do this, but you have to. You have to. Uh, and Bubsy proceeds to jump into the coffin and presumably die to the soothing tones of... Yeah, he, like, lays down and crosses his arms over himself, like yeah. he's being buried. Yeah. It's really weird. Yeah, and over that scene, it's playing it's sort of a sad variation of the Nokia ringtone. To- ring over over I didn't know the Nokia ringtone, so I just thought it was a boring, sad song. Oh, yeah, totally. That was in their marketing material forever. Right, and then you have a sort of surprising incongruous level where you're sliding down a pipe in your coffin, which is kind of cool. You mean awesome and best level where you're in this sweet, like, underworld landscape playing one of the most fun and shocking parts of early Super Mario 64 which is uh, the Penguin Slide Ride, but now with shittier controls and more dubious level design. And in hell. Uh, in this gothy level, yeah. which is it's actually really fun. Yeah. I really enjoyed that part. Um, and then when you get to the end of that, you uh, get out of your coffin, find that you have a different no, body. No, you fucking than... crash through 3D objects and then sink through them at the end of the track. <laughs> As the camera goes insane and then you just wake up in a place called level 3. Or 4. <laughs> level 4. Just like in real life. And you're not Bubsy anymore now. You're a guy with like a weird mustache? You're like a weird old guy and Bubsy when you start out says... This is a paraphrase of like, oh, thank goodness I finally grew up. And you're just like a weird middle-aged balding man. But you're the same guy with like a weird middle-aged balding man head. Mm -hmm. Low poly head. Plastered over your old weird low poly cat head. Oh, I didn't know know this was plastered over. And then you're, uh, you're walking around in this hellscape where there's a bunch of animated skeletons and it plays the opening Sweet riff. To, skeletons. Yeah. And it plays the opening riff to Don't Fear the Reaper over and over again. Mm-hmm. And uh, then you walk to the edge of a platform and one of the skeletons... There's nowhere else to go. You have to, to go. just, just march forward through the skeletons. And then there's this like fiery abyss in front of you and like a jump with nothing on the other side except a single heart floating in the air. Mm-hmm. And it says redemption above it. And before you jump, one of the skeletons tells you helpfully that the bones of capitalism will grind you, or the wheels of mm-hmm. capitalism will bu- grind your bones to dust, which is an appropriate mm-hmm. thing for a skeleton to say. So you jump mm-hmm. off, you see a sweet skull, 
And uh, so the, that heart that you're jumping for, that's your redemption, yeah. turns into a skull as you approach it in the air. But after the point of no return. Yeah. And then you wake up and you say that... Then you crash land in the flames of hell. Yeah. And you wake up. Yeah. And you're in like a rocky place. And and I forget exactly what he says again. It's like, I can't cope with this. I need some... Relief. 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 Okay. I know the answers to this because I played it, like, immediately before uh, we recorded this. I'm so glad. And you walk forward a little bit, and you find yourself at an Applebee's. Mm Mm-hmm. And then you can uh, knock over the... Jump into it. Yeah, and then you sort of knock it over, and underneath... It it starts exploding, like, the roof starts careening down around you as you touch it, like the Applebee's gets destroyed as you wander through it. Yeah, like it was pretty cool. Like it was made of like styrofoam blocks or something. Like you were a one-armed robot (laughs) rolling around in there, (laughs) bringing it back. And uh, and then after you break the building, you you see that the word art was inside it, and then uh, like a glowing, like taller than your dude, like spectacular Hollywood letters, just saying art. And then the game fades out with uh, a few intermittent uh, frames of the words, no relief. Uh, yes. And, and then that's where it ends. Yeah, it starts blinking no relief at you and then cascades to the black screen and uh, gives you a cheat code to play it again. And the cheat code is a ghost. Does does it make um, any difference when you play it again? Does it, it makes change? it totally changes everything. Really? Um, yeah. So I played through it again under Ghost. Yeah. So uh, so it doesn't change everything. All the levels and environments are the same. The way you control your guy and what your guy is and his interactions totally change. Hmm. So you switch to Ghost level one. So if you click Cheat Zone or you click Play uh, after you refresh the page and start from the beginning. You type in ghost, it switches to ghost mode, and presumably these are the ghosts you were seeing mm. as other players. Um, I never saw any, so I had no idea that functionality existed. Um, in ghost mode, your guy is always he's a clear, like almost invisible version of Bud's but laying down like prostrate. Um, okay. And he moves like a 20th the speed he did before okay. and no one will talk to you and you can't pick up any objects like collectibles or anything um, but every time you press spacebar he jumps higher regardless of whether you're on the ground or not so you can if you just jam spacebar like a maniac fly around arbitrarily okay. at any height at any speed at any level so you can go through it very quickly and uh, so I, I zoomed through, and you jump back on a coffin, which he doesn't, like, lay down in and sink down like the first time. Instead, it just warps you to the, like, it totally skips past the coffin ride and just warps you to hell um, once you get in. Um, and you're still a ghost there, and you don't turn into the weird uh, old man. Okay. Um, but this time you can fly past the Redemption Heart. Mm. Um, and there is other platforms out there. They have nothing on them. They have, like, snakes to pick up, which is flexible from that area. Hmm. But you can't pick them up because you're a ghost. And that's the <laughs> only way to get to them. And there's fucking nothing else. Like, I shit around there for, like, 20 minutes. And hmm. There's, like, a ton of platforms and weird shit. There's just nothing out there. Hmm. And then once... You decide to dive into the hellfire again. The same thing happens, and you wake up, and you break the building again, the Applebee's again, and it says art, and then it restarts the game, and now you're ghost level one, which you were ghost level zero before. Oh, and, I see. Uh, and I stopped playing it. Oh, that's interesting. It doesn't give you a new cheat at the end or anything. It levels your ghost level up by one. There's a counter for your ghost level. Not if you're still on it. It's the same way that Sonic Dreams Collection ended, which I also recommend. It's great. 
by the same guys. Um, but yeah, I think they talked about that on. Is that the weird deconstructed sensual Sonic like crazy mini games that they talked about on Idle Thumbs a whole many years ago? Yeah, that's the one. So it's made by the same guy. I had no idea. Yeah. I haven't tried it, uh, but I remember them talking about it. Yeah, I would recommend it. It's awesome. But uh, but what did you think about Bubsy 3D, Benjamin? I enjoyed it way more than I expected to. Hmm. It doesn't outwear its welcome. It's weird. It's cool. It's punk rock. It's fun. Uh, I was a little disappointed there wasn't other shit to find as a ghost, but that was also kind of funny as well. Yeah, well, being being dead does is kind of like that. You know, there's there's nothing else to do really. The implication is is you know you can't make it to the other side because you can't fly, and so you don't get redemption. And then when it doesn't tell you, but you figure out that you can fly in ghost mode by using weird use of the space bar and movement keys. Like I wanted it to unlock something else, which would you know, give you another minute of content or something which might unlock something else and etc. cetera. Uh, but it just doesn't, um, as far as I can tell. And th- there very well may be other secrets in this that I didn't find. There's quite a bit going on. No. It's true. Do you think that Bubsy can find redemption, or is he irredeemable? No. No? I think he's fucked. Um, he didn't accept... Jesus Christ is his Lord and Savior. Boy, should he have. Well, it didn't say that he didn't. He could have. Well, he went to hell, and he found no relief in art. (laughs) Which is too bad. Particularly art inside an apple piece. Yeah. (laughs) Which is too bad, because there's at least two philosophers I can think of who are all about redemption through Applebee's. A uh, fun fact, also, um, in the art exhibit in that first, or in the second portion, where you're, when you're in the James Terrell exhibit, um, two people explicitly uh, bring up Heideggerian aesthetics. Oh, really? Um, and talking about it. And talk about the thingness of, of the art and stuff, which uh, made me feel more at home. Huh. I was back at work instead of shitting around and having fun. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see, is there anything about the statement that the game was trying to make that particularly struck you? Um, I mean, so I my area of philosophy is not aesthetics. Yeah. Um, so I'm by no means an expert or particularly knowledgeable about it. I've n- I've never even had a class in aesthetics before. Um. Because it's an area of philosophy just, like, nobody gives a shit about outside an English department, uh, which I have not ever had an English department education. But uh, this notion of sort of the, the radical attempt of aesthetics to define the meaning of existence and its very possible failure, I thought was really cool. Like, it, it... This felt like a game very much in the spirit, and I, I know we talked about this briefly of like games I made in high school and stuff, like in the spirit of the sort of thing I was making hmm. back when I made games, and I really, really liked it, and um, you know, I, I, I definitely think that it's it's a game very explicitly about the value of aesthetics and how perhaps they aren't redemptive as much as we've been sold, despite how much they may affect us and want us to be. Because uh, it, it, this game does a very good job of wrapping you into making this stuff feel really important, and then it just concludes by saying, no relief, it's a failure. Like it, just, it just doesn't doesn't do anything. I mean, just it just arbitrarily ends. Uh, do you think it's... <laughs> I don't know about do you think it's aesthetics in general or video games in particular? Given that it's about, it's explicitly about like high art, high visual art, um, in the contemporary world, 
outside of the medium of video games, I think it's about aesthetics and visual in general. But there's also the comparisons to early 3D video game art. There are, but there are comparisons, and you're playing a 3D video game, and it tells you that you didn't succeed. And my guess is that Bubsy 3 Bubsy Visits the... uh, James Terrell retrospective did nothing at all to assuage your massage. Assuage? I don't know. I don't know what pronouns things. Yeah, one of those. Assange. Uh, your yeah, Julian Assange. Your <laughs> your existential butthurt, man. Oh, man, how sad. I I it's got a bleak ending, man. What would you expect out of Applebee's? <laughs> what about the part where Bubsy says that his favorite kind of art is uh, is practical because he can jump on it to get to new platforms? Well, that's broken down by the fact that while alive, he can't even make it to the plat- the only platform that matters. Mm-hmm. And um, when he's dead, you can make it there, but you can't read those rewards. And there's nothing there for you. Which is demonstrated by playing the game as a ghost. And we can finally make it there. Well, alright. On that note, listeners, be advised that you cannot redeem yourself through art. But you can redeem yourself through listening to podcasts. Like ours. And subscribing and downloading a lot of times. Yeah. Um, telling all your friends. If we had an email, you could email us. But we don't. So don't. Um, you know, just write that shit down and set it on fire or throw it into the wind. And <laughs> maybe try, uh, try gutting some animals if you want to communicate with us and we'll, we'll answer back through the position of the viscera. Yeah, yeah, no, I mean, so many important military decisions in Western history were made on the battlefield that way. I think that's a long lost tradition. We should start again. Back when we were winning wars, you know, uh, we consulted the entrails. Maybe we should go back. Yeah, I mean, in the U.S., we stopped doing that right after World War II, and then we saw what happened. <laughs> yeah. Good. Slow decline, moral character, and success from mid on out. Mm-hmm. So, it's a problem with peaking, bro. It's yeah. All downhill from there. So anyway, this has been the John's cast. Cast your viscera. It's all you have left. Cast your viscera. That's how you contact us. Ah!